Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am talking with Dr. Lauren Cook, licensed clinical psychologist, company consultant, author, and speaker. Lauren has a doctorate in clinical psychology and her master's in marriage and family therapy. She appears frequently in the media to provide commentary while also running her own private practice, Hardship Psychological Services, serving all clients residing in California. In addition to that, she can be found on TikTok, Instagram. She hosts the Brain Health Book Club, as well as the podcast Boardroom Brain. And her new book, Generation Anxiety, just hit the shelves in the last month. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm a big time fan of yours, Sarah Jane. So I'm like super pumped to get to talk with you today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. We did a live on Instagram and I was like... We need this conversation to be so much longer. We had so many questions come in. I know people are interested, and it was just such a joy to talk to you, so I'm so excited. The feeling is mutual, so thank you for creating the space. Yeah. Okay, so you wrote a book, Generation Anxiety. Mm -hmm. Why Generation Anxiety? Yeah, a lot of people have been asking, you know, well, why are we so anxious? You know, other generations have... Some people love the line, I've had it worse, which, oh, that mm-hmm. makes my ears cringe a little bit. Every generation, though, has had their own plights, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing right now that's maybe a little bit different is that, yes, anxiety is increasing both in prevalence and severity. So more people are mm-hmm. anxious and the level of anxiety is more intense. Mm-hmm. My hypothesis on why that is, and, and this comes from the Stress in America survey, they reported that 75% of young adults feel unsafe in this country, in the United States, every single day. And the number one thing that they attribute to, I love to ask people if they have any guess what they think it is. I'm so curious, Sarah Jane, what would your guess be for like the number one fear young adults have today? Oh my gosh. Um, the number one fear. I mean, I'm afraid it's like guns. It but is. I don't know. Okay. You, no, it's that's spot on. And a lot of people like that is the answer they give. And I think that shows like we are just heightened alert. And like I, I noticed it even yesterday, like driving to pick my son up from daycare. There's somebody mm-hmm. just walking on the side of the road. He's minding his own business. Mm-hmm. And my brain goes to the place. Is this a safe person? Are they going to do something? Yeah. Am I going to run into them picking up my son? Yeah. That is so sad that my mind goes there, and yet that's the kind of the reality of our world right now. Yeah, my kid's home from school today because Mm. there was a shooter threat. What? Yeah, yeah. See, this is is what I'm talking about. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we are living in a world right now where, and it's not the case, the majority of people are safe to be around, but everybody feels Mm -hmm. like could be a potential threat. We don't feel safe Mm -hmm. with each other. And our human brains, like we need and crave community. We don't have that right now. And I think that's very much contributing to anxiety for folks. 
Do you think like with because I I wonder I think sometimes about like okay like 1950s mm-hmm. you were worried about like the people in your neighborhood the people yeah. in your workplace mm-hmm. um but now I get to I can worry about the farthest reaches of the earth because I have access to so much information all the time mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. my anxiety can spike you know and then additionally you know, I'm seeing videos of things constantly. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're inundated by the news. The news cycle is just constant. Social media, especially with the algorithm, we know that the Mm -hmm. algorithm pushes out content that is more eye-catching. And typically that is pretty like negative, hard to watch content. And yet our Mm -hmm. brain is like, ooh, let me take this in. So it knows how to play up to our fears. Uh, And, you know, I think one thing too, we're very concerned about the future of this planet, you know, with Mm -hmm. things like climate change, you know, we can feel pretty helpless and hopeless with that sometimes. That's a Mm -hmm. precursor to feeling anxious and then ultimately feeling depressed. I write a lot in the book about what we can actually do about that, right? (laughs) So that Mm -hmm. we don't just feel like so bogged down by it. But I think we do have to first validate like, yes, these are legitimate fears that are uncomfy. We can't gaslight ourselves into thinking, oh, yeah, no, you mm-hmm. shouldn't worry about these things because they are hard. Yeah. My friend Mari wrote a poem like when COVID was happening where it was talking about – She said, I think she said something like the world is burning and I'm washing my face. Mm. And like that was so visceral to me because that's how it, it feels like I need to stay – Hyper vigilant, right? And and sometimes I feel like we're in order to be a good person, mm. I need to be aware of everything that's happening in the world, and I need to be constantly on guard to it. And if I'm just kind of washing my face, enjoying my skincare routine, then I'm part of the problem, you know. Mm. Or you know, that's what my like brain likes to say. And so mm-hmm. I love that you're saying like, yeah, we can self soothe <laughs> yes. tools. Um, yeah. So what, if we're holding that complexity, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, Mm -hmm. I guess like the question being, how do we navigate wanting to be conscious Mm -hmm. while not being consumed? Yes, yes, yes. I like to integrate what I call empowered acceptance. One, we have to accept what is, you know, a lot of us, we get so avoidant. I don't want to hear about these things. I don't want to know about these things. And that actually can exacerbate anxiety because in that suppression, that's a lot of mental energy. So if we can accept and say, all right, I see this for what it is. And perhaps that is where I can have some control in the narrative and my perspective is, you know, being mindful of my reactions to these things, right? Being mindful of setting boundaries sometimes. I always say with the news, for example, if you've already heard it once and you're noticing you're hearing it multiple times, you got it the first Mm -hmm. time, you know, that can be a boundary you set of like, all right, we're going to turn the TV off for today on on that front, you know? Um, And at the same time, like, I think we have to be empowered too. Like, I'm very much a behaviorist as a therapist, I'll say, like, Mm -hmm. I really think we have to take action. And so if the action is washing our face, for example, if that feels good for us, let's give ourselves that permission. And in fact, like even appreciate that we're doing that for ourselves. Like Mm -hmm. that self-compassion piece is so, so important. That can very much be a way to work through anxiety. So we have to be empowered in how we show up in our lives 
And that really does include taking action in a lot of different ways. Hmm. So I know you take a systems approach. Can you tell us what, what does that mean? Yeah. So this kind of comes back to my MFT days, marriage and family therapy. Uh, and it really does look at the person in the context of their whole world, right? That mm-hmm. can look like everything from our intersectional identity, how our our gender, our age, our ethnicity, our race, our abilities, all these different things weave together, right? To make us the person that we are in the context of our communities. And I do write about in the book, you know, when it comes to anxiety, you know, there can be different levels of privilege with it. You know, mm-hmm. for some of us, our anxiety, it's the privilege of, oh, where should I go to college, you know, or oh, mm-hmm. I can't decide, you know, if what house to buy, for example. Yes, that's anxiety. There's privilege that we're getting to have anxiety about these things, right? For others, our anxiety, it's automatic. There are some of us who do not feel safe in the beds that we go to sleep in at night, or we don't have a bed to sleep in at night. And I really wanted to very much legitimize that in the book that like, listen, you know, we each have our different environments that we are living in. We have to validate those experiences uh, because how can one not have anxiety in those situations? And how can that not be generational too? You know, I write Mm -hmm. in the book about some really interesting research about the traumas that happen to our grandparents, for example, we are seeing physical effects of that in the bodies of their grandchildren. And it's not to say that that can't be changed or countered, right? I don't want people to hear that and feel like, well, shoot, I'm screwed. It's not like an automatic, (laughs) you know, this is what it is. But I do think we really need to look at how generationally, systemically, this is not just something that's in people's heads. Yeah. I love this so much because I think oftentimes when we get advice about um, anxiety, especially, it's like we're, it's so self focused or it can be yeah. so focused on just like your isolated being. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so hearing you say, yeah, all of these different factors are going to affect the way that someone experiences this and the way that, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm curious, so just for the people at home who might be like, okay, so I do, I did come from a privileged environment mm-hmm. and I still experience anxiety, which, yeah. Is it valid? You know, cause I know I can hear my audience like disqualifying themselves. <laughs> right. We don't want to necessarily get into the shouldn'ts like, cause I meet so many mm-hmm. folks, right. Where like they have, or they haven't like necessarily mm-hmm. gone through a traumatic experience and yet they still experience anxiety. Mm-hmm. And the point that I make in the book is if you're anxious, you're anxious. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be like a reason for it. Like we have to allow that within ourselves. It's okay that we feel anxious. You know, you don't need to necessarily have earned the badge of anxiety to, to feel it, you know? For some of us, it's just that that amygdala in our brain, that little almond piece that's so deep in our brain. For some of us, it's just more active than for another person. And the more that we can accept that and and allow like, yep, I feel anxious. That often in itself deflates the anxiety because so many of us are expending so much energy. I call it mental treading, trying to make the anxiety go away. When really, 
we've got to switch that and say, yep, I feel anxious. It's going to be here sometimes. That's often what actually takes the wind out of its sails. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And we, we, I'm so interested because when I, my husband and I kind of met, we came from very different approaches mm. of thought. So I am an Enneagram seven. He's an, with a pretty hardy eight wing. <laughs> He's an Enneagram <laughs> four with a pretty hardy five wing. So we're pretty okay. like, and we came to it. I was very all self-reliant, self-responsibility. What can I control? Like I, if I can't take action on it, I don't want to think about it. Um, mm. And he came from the world, like my circumstances are my reality mm. and determine my behavior. And to the point where maybe I won't do the things that are best for me because the circumstances are so oppressive. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of, we're learning to meet, walk towards each other, right? Like mm -hmm. in that. But I think what I learned from being in a relationship to him is that our circumstances impact us. <laughs> I think yes. like, I honestly learned that from him, like for the first time in my life, mm -hmm. that I'm not supposed to just be a robot who shows up the same no matter what's happening in the world, what's happened in my life, the trauma mm -hmm. that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Like that's new. That was news to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that so much too because I'm an Enneagram 3, Wing 2. And uh, speaking of like robots, like when we have a goal as Enneagram 3 is like charge ahead no matter what, right? And yet, like, really, I mean, that's what I love about fours. I feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I sense that they sometimes are a little more willing to integrate some self-compassion of like, mm -hmm. hey, I feel this way. Like, let's validate this. There are things going mm -hmm. on in my world that are making me feel this way. And really giving ourselves that permission. Uh Settling into that is sometimes really hard, right? Because mm -hmm. with anxiety, we want to control, right? Even we want to control our circumstances. And the reality is we can't always do that. And I think, mm -hmm. in fact, most of the time we can't do that. And so the more we can kind of lay back in the hammock and say like, hey, this is like the situation. Let's embrace mm -hmm. some of the discomfort. I think there's a lot of liberation in that. But it, it feels pretty scary for us to take that leap of faith, I think. Mm -hmm. Today's podcast is brought to you by Every Plate. If you're hoping to budget your food expenses this fall, get more bang for your bite with America's Best Value Meal Kit. Every Plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. There's no hidden fees, so you can count on great value week after week. Plus, you only pay for what you need. With pre-portioned food ingredients, that means less food waste. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but our life got busy with back to school season. The last thing that I want to do is spend all week planning out meals, going to the grocery store, coming back, figuring out a recipe. Instead, all I have to do is show up to my kitchen because the meals have been directly delivered to my door. Everything is pre-portioned. There's six simple steps to every recipe. They typically take 30 to 40 minutes and I can just put on my headphones, listen to a podcast and follow directions. 
which helps us to choose takeout less often. With meals being this easy and this satisfying, and they are 50% cheaper than your average fast casual meal, it is the easiest way to eat affordably and to get lots of yummy veggies into every meal. My other favorite thing about Every Plate is they are also one of the most sustainable choices this September. Every Plate offsets 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. Plus, nearly all the packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. You know I'm a big fan. I call this one of the greatest acts of self-care that I can do for myself is just having my meals delivered to my door. I hope that you enjoy them. Y'all, these are only $1.49 per meal if you use my code. So get $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49egram. Again, get started with Everyplate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49egram. Make sure to use the code from the podcast not only to get your discount, but also to let them know that I sent you. Again, that is everyplate.com slash podcast with code 49egram. That's $1.49 per meal, which is an up to $110 value. Thank you so much, Everyplate, for making dinner easy and for supporting the podcast. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking, what is on the other side of that? Like, what's the the fear or the risk of letting go? Because it feels so scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel this like the most profoundly right now in my life. I think being a new mom, like, I have so many anxieties about becoming a parent in terms of, you know, well, how am I going to like have a career and be a parent and you know, also like on a physical level, I've struggled with emetophobia for most of my life, like debilitating fear of vomit, which is a little bit niche, but a lot of people have actually come out and said that they really struggle with it too. These were things where I was like, I'm not sure like I can do this. And yet, like I had to ask myself the regret question, would I regret if I, I mean, hopefully I live a long life, but would I regret like not making the choice to have children, for example? And the answer was yes. And I knew in that moment, like my anxiety had been calling the shots on that. And so that was like my cue from the universe of like, let's embrace this this discomfort. Like it's not going to get easier. It's not going to go away. My anxiety is always going to give an excuse for why now is not the right time or I'm just not ready yet. And I don't know if we're, if we're allowed to use expletives, so I'll give the PG version, you know, in some, in most cases with anxiety, we got to eventually get a case of the efforts and say like, screw it. Like these things matter too much in my life that I'm not going to let anxiety call the shots anymore. Mm. I think that was, I, that's like eye opening, you know, when you Mm. hear that or because it feels anxiety feels so much like something to avoid. Yeah. That when you say, like, I'm going to move into it and do the thing I want to do anyway, yes. um, it sounds like, how is that going to help? But it does. I know, you know, like I, I know from, you know, but it does. It feels like, well, that can't be it. I'm supposed to move away from that feeling. <laughs> but that's what sucks so much about anxiety. The more like you feed it dollars, like 
the more yeah. it starts to like take over your life. And it's like, if you mm-hmm. think of it, like if anxiety is in your house and you just keep like letting it take up space, you're going to eventually mm-hmm. be balled up in a corner and it has taken up every crevice of that room, you know? Yeah. And so that's where I think we do have to push back a little bit and say like, no, like, it's okay if you're here. Like, it's okay. I have had panic attacks in front of people. It's like, mm-hmm. and so what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. if if we can start to lean into that, it's amazing how it can lose its power over us. But when you're not on the other side of that yet, that can feel very scary to step into. Yeah. And I, I as I've like been tapping into that this year a lot, we've talked about it on the podcast a lot of like how it feels so counterintuitive to move in, but it actually is like helping me a ton. And and I, like you said, like if you feed it, it grows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like there are so many opportunities to feed it. Uh, you know, I had, I, at this point, I mean, there's nothing wrong with TikTok. I love TikTok. Your algorithm could be totally different than mine. Um, mm. But my algorithm was like, let's look at all the things that are scary for you. And I Ooh. could retrain it, but it was like, yeah, I had to all constantly just take steps back because mm. it was, I, yeah, it was just feeding it. It was feeding the little mm-hmm. anxiety beast. Yeah. It's, it's so hard. Right. And like, I, I find a lot of folks ask like, well, how do I know like when to lean in and when to lean out? And I almost like, I like to use a metric a little bit of like, let's take a scale of zero to 10. 10 is like, you will put me in a full panic attack if I am facing this fear. One is like, I'm chill. I got this. If you're like in that four to six range, that's like a good cue for the self of like, okay, like let's lean into this a little bit. But if you're getting into the seven, eight, nine, like it's going to be traumatizing for you to lean in, then that's a cue of like, okay, let's get some support. Let's honor like what the body is telling us. I don't think we should just like charge ahead necessarily and flood ourselves to face our fears, right? Like even in working through my fear of vomit, I worked with a a provider, you know, the treatment is exposure and response prevention. So we literally, Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding, like looked at pictures of vomit, watched videos of people vomit. We didn't just start with that, right? Like you have to like build your way up. It's like, it's like working out a muscle. You're not going to go run a marathon the first day. So I do think we have to be mindful and give ourselves grace as we're facing our fears because it's, it's not easy work. And I really want to validate that for people. Yeah, I love that. And I, I am interested. Well, okay. So first of all, I think you have, like, I am like, my growth journey is like fully in track with us having this interview right now. I was like looking mm-hmm. at the next question I had like noted for myself with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my people who listen to the podcast regularly are going to be like, literally, this is what you just talked about, um, <laughs> which is you said um, values induction over pain reduction. Mm-hmm. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am a really big advocate of getting very clear on what our values are. And a lot of us, like if we actually were asked like what our values are, we struggle to like come up with our top 10. You know, a lot of folks will say like family, friends, but no, like what are your values? And that's part of why I love the Enneagram so much because sometimes it does have a framework of like some general values that we may cherish. The thing is, 
anxiety will make us want to seek comfort every time. It will often make us want to avoid, right? And we can have these very strong values in our life, but anxiety can come around every time and say, Mm, you you want this thing, you're not ready, it's not your time yet, um, you need to do X, Y, Z first before you can have your values, right? The thing is, when we choose our values, there's often pain attached to it. Let's say you're in an unhealthy relationship, your values are not being met, but it is painful to go through a breakup. Or let's say you need to change jobs, it's painful to leave that job. We as humans tend to crave comfort and homeostasis, even if it's not serving us. So this is why I say let's get crystal clear on what our values are, because when we do make those tough decisions and it is painful for us, we can be grounded in it knowing I did this from a place of choosing my values. And that is going to give me fortitude when it's not easy. And and I think that's something really important for us to lean into because a lot of us, we choose comfort and feeding the anxiety beast instead of leaning into what our ultimate values are. Yeah. And I almost think about like, even when you said comfort and feeding the anxiety beast together, I was like, that's what TikTok was for me. It was like a comforting mm. way of staying hypervigilant. It was like, if I have all the information, then I can't be caught off guard rather mm. than like i will take the actions i will take the risk i will mm. be so mentally stimulated and aware that mm. i won't i'll know not to take the risk when the time mm. comes mhm mhm well and mm -hmm. you know tara brack talks about this of like radical acceptance which mm. is i think you know an amazing concept that i think feels a little bit scary to folks at first of like embracing total acceptance of like, I accept the pain. I accept the not knowing. I accept mm -hmm. the looking like an idiot sometimes and mm -hmm. that being okay, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think can feel so scary in our society where we feel like we have to like always have our ish together and like be the expert. Mm -hmm. But to radically accept of like, yeah, I'm a like goofy, flawed human being like bumbling my way through this world. Mm -hmm. If we can allow ourselves to sit in that space, like like I said, the anxiety really starts to deflate. It loses mm -hmm. its power over us. And I think we can also like experience more genuine joy too, because we're taking off some of that pressure of like always having to stick the landing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm working so much with people starting businesses right now. It is like I'm doing it almost every day. And that fear of hitting the publish button, that fear of like claiming a space, claiming a niche, like I can just, I'm like watching it happen, you know, that mm -hmm. sensation of like all of the unknowns on the other side of that mm -hmm. um, and hitting the button anyway. I, how do we, how do we do that? How do we go for, <laughs> I mean, I hear you saying acceptance and I think that I like, I totally get that, but like, for those at home who are like, yeah, yeah, acceptance, right? Um, mm. But what? Who's going to judge me? What's going to happen? What mm -hmm. if blank? You know, what if yeah. the monster in the closet comes out and it's scarier than I thought? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that you're bringing all this up, and we deep dive in this in Generation Anxiety. There's a few different things to tell yourself. Okay, the mind wants to hear the mental tape of what happens after we hit the publish mm -hmm. button. So play that tape. Like, what is the worst case scenario? 
And a lot of times as we go through that exercise, we realize, okay, it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be comfy. And I I would get through to another day. You know what I mean? And also saying to ourselves, so what? Like, I think we've got to deflate things a little bit, almost integrating a sense of playfulness. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves (laughs) that, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves like, okay, someone judges my work. So what? It wasn't for them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's that's a place we can go to. And then I think lastly, we have to ask ourselves the why. Like, why are mm-hmm. we doing this? You know, I as an Enneagram 3, I can get very caught up sometimes in doing things because I want that public approval or um, my own ambitious need, right? Like, let's just name that for what it is. <laughs> There's the acceptance piece of it, even though sometimes I really don't like that part about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, all these different sides to it, we have to ask the why and how am I hoping to serve or support or help someone in doing this? That can help us maybe set aside the ego sometimes that it's not about our own need per se. It's about maybe this is going to serve someone else in some way that we don't even know or see come to fruition right away. And that can give us, I think, some some fuel when it is feeling really uncomfy. I love that because it is like kind of coming back to and the values induction piece of like coming back to what do I value? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One one phrase that you use that I really like, and I'd love to hear you talk about too, is not just acceptance, but you you kind of add in empowered acceptance, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. just reading that those two words put together, it I, I just want to tell you what it did for me because I'm a seven. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me what to do, <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> feel like, no. Um, I also have this sense of like, well, if I just accept things that I'm going to be settling, I'm going to not live my best life ever. I'm going to like look back with regret. I'm going to have lived a passive, boring life, Mm -hmm. but empowered acceptance. It's like, there's something about that that I go, well, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I'm choosing to be, to accept it, but I want to hear from you kind of what that, why those two words together. I love that. I, it's so cool to hear how that impacted. Yeah, because I think a lot of us, we can feel like acceptance is apathy, right? And mm-hmm. it's certainly not that. Like I like to say acceptance is mindfulness with our eyes wide open. And there is also that like behavioral side of me too, where I really do believe the brain, it needs evidence. It needs action. You know, that's why I will often say like positive thinking, manifesting, like it's, mm-hmm. it's not enough. Like I, I think many of us maybe wish that could be the case, but like take, for example, with your clients you're working with, you can't think your way into writing an article. Your fingers have to type the words out, hitting the publish mm-hmm. button. You hit that action, right? You can't think your way into it. And so that's why I say, you know, the more you can show yourself the evidence, I asked that person out on the date, or I had that tough conversation with my boss, you did those things. And so then the brain kind of has to sit back and say like, well, shoot, like I have to take this evidence in now that maybe you are capable. I think that's one of the best ways to work through imposter syndrome is to actually do it feeling scared and to see that 
okay, like my anxiety didn't like totally derail me, right? And maybe I even was like visibly shaking or sweating. And that's where we come back in with the two things. So what? Okay, you were like sweaty. Welcome to being a human, right? Yeah. And the other thing too, I really hope we can start to like lean into the fact that many human beings are compassionate, are empathetic. Like we often think people are so judgmental and cruel when it comes to anxiety. And sure, mm-hmm. like there are there are bullies in this world. That's their stuff. Most people, if they see us making an effort and they can tell it's hard for us, they're like, yes, I admire that. I wish I could do the same, right? And so I think we have yeah. to we have to hold that people are, are more compassionate towards us than we, when we often believe. I think that's so true. And I can say, y'all, I have done so many speaking engagements, visibly shaking and sweaty mm-hmm. and like, fine. <laughs> it's fine. Same here. I've had a panic attack during a talk. It just, it happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Um, So for those at home who want to stay in touch with you, who want to grab your book, who want to stay connected to your work, where can they find you online? So I'm at drlaurencook.com. The book Generation Anxiety is wherever you like to buy books. Um, Shop small with your local indie bookseller if you like. Uh, I love to speak as well. So I often come in with companies and teams. And I should know if you have any listeners who are who love to read, we host the Brain Health Book Club where every month we bring in different authors. Sarah Jane, I think we're gonna have to feature your book one of these months. Oh, uh, if you're if you're that. willing to join us. Um, but it's a great community. So join us um, if you love to read too. And uh, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Lauren Cook. Sweet. Thank you so much for being here. This was so informational and supportive. Thank you, Sarah Jane. Really appreciate the conversation. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.